Let's go ahead and look at John 7, starting in verse 1, going to 10. It says, After this, Jesus traveled in Galilee, since he did not want to travel in Judea, because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus told them, My time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The, word cannot, the world cannot hate you, but it does hate me, because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to the festival yet, because my time has not yet fully come. After he had said these things, he stayed in Galilee. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, then he also went up, not openly, but in secret, but secretly. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Father, for being here with us today. Thank you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for being here with us this morning. I thank you, Father, and I thank you, Holy Spirit, and I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, God, that you work in many different ways. I thank you, Father, that, that revelation light floods our hearts this morning and and opens our understanding so we might be able to see something in the Word. I thank you for, for helping me prepare this sermon, that it's, it, wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't me doing something in the flesh, but it was you leading and guiding me. And, and I, just as I gave you my, my, my preparation, I give you my sermon this morning, Father. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us through this Word. May there be open ears and open hearts. May there be fresh revelation. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's good to, every once in a while, especially at the, at the beginning of, of a specific time here, the beginning of John 7, to kind of do somewhat of a recap. Um, in chapter 6, Jesus is out of Jerusalem. Wait, let me, I was, I kind of scrolled down a little bit. Uh, just, just to basically build some context, the last time we saw Jesus in Jerusalem was in John chapter 5. This was right after a festival. This was either probably, depending on chronologically where John 5 happened, the Passover, or the same festival, the, the festival of tabernacles. So John 5 um, uh, is... is, is, is um, John 5, we had Jesus heal the man at the pool of Bethesda, and then we have a long dialogue with the higher-ranking Jewish men about him and his father being one, about Jesus being the Christ, about how he works on the Sabbath, because God has been working from the beginning of time, and he, since God was working, he was working because he is God. That was Jesus. The Jews... The Jews basically accused him of making himself equal with God. And what Jesus does is he does not deny this. 
before them, but he for, further expounds in John 5 about how he and the Father work, about how the Father gives him work to work to testify and prove that he is who he says he is, the Son of God. So, in John 6, we have Jesus leaving Jerusalem because the Jews were seeking to kill Jesus, and he travels on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So, we have Jerusalem kind of in this... Um, uh, never eat soggy waffles. This southeast um, region. It's about southeast, and then he travels northwest up to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he's in this wilderness place here, teaching all of the people that have been following him. From John 6, we know it's about 5,000 people, not counting women and children, and that's where he multiplies bread and fish and feeds all those people. And then we have those people try to make Jesus their king. They, tried to, they, they wanted to take him and make him king, and this isn't what Jesus, this isn't what God had planned to happen at that time. This isn't what God's plan was. So Jesus went off by himself, and we followed the disciples across the Sea of Galilee. And about midway, they see Jesus walking on the water. And then Jesus gets in the boat, and all of a sudden, they're all on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, in Galilee. So they were in the wilderness. They were first in Jerusalem, went up to the wilderness, then went to the other side of the Galilee. Now they're in Galilee, and in John 6, you had this long exposition that Jesus had about him being the bread of life, about um, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have eternal life. And we, we've been explaining that the past couple times, but that's really the only thing that John recorded when Jesus was in Galilee. From other gospel authors like Mark, we see that Jesus spent a lot of time in Galilee. There was probably be about a, years that, a year passed between um, Jesus leaving Jerusalem and then this new upcoming festival coming back into Jerusalem. So we pick up um, in, after John 6... Uh, basically, the Festival of Tabernacles, or the Festival of Booths, is about to start happening. There are three main festivals that the Jewish people um, celebrated and most, most continue to celebrate in that tradition. The Festival of Tr Tabernacles, or the Festival of Booths, was one of those. It is celebrated uh, it celebrates the autumn harvest and occur, occurs in the month of Tishri. Am I saying that right? Kind of? Yeah. <laughs> which, which to us is about mid-September to mid-October on our calendar. So, so somewhere along that time, they ce celebrate this festival of booths. Um, Exodus 23, 16 is the command from God to tell the children of Israel... Uh, uh, to celebrate this, it says in Exodus 23:16, also observe the festival of the harvest with the first fruits of your produce from what you sow in the field, and observe the festival of the ingathering at the end of the year when you gather your produce from the field. We also have have this same festival mentioned on how, basically, how they're supposed to worship or how they're supposed to celebrate this in Leviticus 23, 
40 through 43. I'm going to paraphrase it. I'm not going to um, really read it. it. It basically speaks of how they would celebrate for seven days. Um, it, that's what it says in Leviticus 23. Um, for seven days. And um, it, it was to, they were supposed to basically make these hut things. It was like these huts. It's like this, this almost rectangle thing. It kind of looks like a cubicle, but it's on all four sides, and it has a roof, and it's made out of leaves and different things like that. It was these huts, and God said, hey, this is how you're supposed to celebrate. For these seven days, you're supposed to live in these huts to remember. Remember the children of Israel and how they lived in these huts and how, how, how they basically were provided for for 40 40 years. So these festivals, a lot of them have point back to something, and then they also point, point forward to something. And we'll, we'll continue in John 7, because there's a lot of things that Jesus does when he actually gets to Jerusalem, a lot of things that he says, and a lot of things that, that was tradition for the Jewish people that have great significance. But for now, that's like a quick introduction of what the festival of booths kind of was. So, and then, then later on, without really giving too much away, we'll go ahead and talk about how they celebrated later on. So every year, when it was time for this festival, um, the Jews on the outside regions would travel into Jerusalem. It wasn't, it wasn't like um, you celebrate this holiday where you live outside of Jerusalem. It was everybody comes into Jerusalem to celebrate this, this festival. And so where we pick up in the text is with Jesus and his brothers in Galilee. So John 7, 3, verse 3 of our text, it says, So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, so your disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while, he see, while, while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So, from Galilee to the f festival in Judea, is that we're talking about, they were, they were looking at a distance of around 70 miles, give or take. Now, this is a world where they don't have cars, and they, they don't have very fast transportation. Um, there's going to be a lot of people walking, and there's going to be some camels or some, some other animals that carry some stuff, maybe carry some people, but for the most part, they all traveled together, so some people would walk, so they would basically go at a pace that it would take them three to four days long to travel these 70 miles to Judea. So Jesus' brothers, Jesus' brothers, James, Joseph, Judas, not Judas, the, the disciple that had portrayed Jesus, but that was a popular name, and Jesus' brothers was named Judas. And then Simon wanted uh, Jesus to go on this basically 70-mile, three- to four-day-long journey and as he was going, and as he goes on this journey, they're basically suggesting that he started doing a bunch of works like he had been doing in Galilee, because in Galilee was the center of his ministry. And 
Um, he was doing a lot of miraculous things, if you look in the other Gospels, in Galilee. But what they suggested is you need to go on this like three to four day long thing where you're just doing a bunch of really cool, awesome things. And we're going to get a bunch of followers and a bunch of people to believe in you. See, we see here in the attitude of the brothers what, a world, what, a world, what the world wants in a savior. Jesus' brothers, along with other expectant Jews, wanted their Messiah to grow and have a large influence in the arena of basically either like, uh, they, they wanted influence in the world, in politics or in military. They wanted him to rise as ba basically this public figure. Um, they wanted a king to rule, basically, but that's not the way that Jesus rules. That's not the way that Jesus does things. He does things subversively. He serves. He says, you, this, is the, this is what I'm calling you to be, a servant to one another. This is what Jesus did. He was the king that came. I mean, he was, he was God. He was, he was wrapped in human. He was God. He was God before the foundation of the world. And, and God put on human flesh. So he, he decided to put on human flesh. And he decided to feel all the feelings that we feel. He decided to, to, to be in the, the, this world and have the emotions and have the feelings that we have. The difference is he did not sin. But, but, but God, God, a God decided, I mean, that was a step down to put on human flesh and to take on our humanity. That was him coming and relating to us. So God did that. And that's, that's, that's the kind of king we have. That's the kind of king Jesus is. He's not a king that basically elevates himself to a point where he says, everybody look at me and how cool I am. And no, but he's, he, he shows us through his servant. He, he shows us through what he did by coming to earth and the act of mercy that was the gospel, that was his death, burial, and resurrection. Through that act, he came and he rescued us and showed us that we were precious. And he loved us in that. He loved us in that. And by loving us, that there's no, it says in the Bible, there's no greater love than one laying down their life for another. And a king, God, laid down his life for us. And that's the, that's the way Jesus, that's the way God works. So, um, uh, we saw at the, at the beginning of John 6, after Jesus fed the 5,000, how all the people were going to take Jesus and make him king. And he withdrew from them because Jesus isn't about, uh, about man's works. He is about the works of the Father. He repeats this over and over. Jesus' brothers are interested in what um, the, our text says is public recognition. They want Jesus to show himself to the world. They basically challenge him in why he is doing these works in Galilee in secret. They are telling Jesus this when... Uh, they're, they're, they're talking to Jesus about this type of things. And John, the author in parentheses, basically gives us an idea of where they're coming at. They don't even believe in Jesus, is what it says in verse 5, for not even his brothers believed him. So, I mean, that's understandable. 
um, if, like my sisters, I grew up with my sisters, and I'm sure that it's hard for them to believe certain things about me or different things. You know how it is growing up with sisters and then, and then or growing up with siblings. They're, they're sometimes the hardest critics and they try to, or they're, they're probably the more, most harsh. And that's what Jesus is coming into with his own family and with all the people that he grew up with. They say, isn't this guy Jesus? Don't we know his mom? Don't we know his dad? He's natural. How, hey, this guy is the son of God? No way. This is what he's coming in contact with his brothers. So basically, so they basically want Jesus to hit, for lack of better term, or if you like it, the campaign trail. They want him to multiply bread and fish and heal the sick. They are saying, Jesus, hey, I know what you can do. You can do that one thing that you can do. Show us something amazing. If Jesus, if Jesus did this, then maybe his own brothers would actually believe in him. Have you ever been in that situation where, where um, you, you have a friend and they come to you and they're introducing you to one of their friends and they're like, hey, you're funny. Why don't you tell us a funny joke? Why don't you perform for us? I don't know if you've ever been in that situation or seen that situation unfold. One of those people, hey, you know that one thing that you do? It happened to me a lot because I was kind of the class clown. I was the funny guy in school. So, <laughs> so um, I was a little bit unruly. I never did my homework, but I, I, was really good at, I was really good at taking tests. So that's basically how I passed high school. I was an excellent test taker. And um, it just, just other things. But I would, I would goof off around in, in high school and middle school. I'm sorry, Mom. But that was just who I was. So, so I, I was approached by people a lot. Hey, do that one thing, Jeff. Go do this or that. It'll be funny. Perform for us. And, and, and if you've ever been in that situation, and you've ever been that person, you know how that feels. It's not necessarily a good feeling. It, it's kind of like, do you, do you, are you, you just want me to do something so I can entertain you. You want me to perform. It's like, I'm a real human being, and, and maybe if we hang out, you'll see me do something funny, but I don't want to just be at your, your request. That's, that's not what I'm, this is kind of the vibe I'm getting from Jesus' brothers from this text. Um, um, so, um, basically, they're saying, do that thing you do so we can impress a lot of people, and if you get a lot of people following and believing, in a result, if it's the popular thing to do, Jesus, brother, if it's popular to believe in you as the Messiah, we'll go ahead and believe too, is basically what they're doing. This is Jesus' brother's proposition and now we have Jesus' response to this proposition. Will, will, will Jesus do what his brother is suggesting? We know from the text that the answer is no. Basically, that, that is not the way Jesus works. But what he does do is what he does best in most of the times. When people challenge him, they kind of, he kind of reveals to people their heart. And that's really, what, that's really what Jesus does to us. That's really what grace does to us when we get down to it. 
When we, when, we, when we have this grace that is so amazing, when we have this story that is so amazing, when we hear about this God that is so amazing, that is pursuing us and loving us, it kind of exposes to us in our hearts where we're kind of missing it. And it kind of exposes our, our selfish, selfishness and our jealousy and exposes us what we really need to be thinking about, and that's it be captivated by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what Jesus does is exposes to them what their heart is. Jesus told them, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it, that its deeds are evil. So I want to kind of um, start at the world and its deeds and how they're evil and work back towards the brothers. Jesus is saying a lot in these statements. Let's start with the deeds of the worlds are evil. N.T. Wright, a theologian, in his commentary about this verse in the world's deeds says, it's a deep-seated attitude that turns away from the loving creator and tries to organize its life independently of him. I'm going to repeat that again. It's a deep-seated attitude that turns away from the loving creator and tries to organize its life independently of him. When we're talking about the world's deeds, and when Jesus is talking about the world's deeds here, he's talking about what some people would say the world's deeds are, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, if that makes sense. Those are a fruit. Because I know plenty of people, and there was actually a whole movement when I was growing up called Straight Edge Kids, and they swore off drinking, they swore off drugs, they swore off sex and cigarettes, but you know what? Most of these people were atheists. So there, is, there, the, so, so there had to have been something in them that, that wasn't that. That wasn't the thing that corrupted them. There was something, a deep, what he calls a deep-seated attitude. Something deep down that turns away from a loving father or a loving creator and tries to organize their life independently from them. This speaks of basically this autonomy from God. That, that, that God is there and I am my own entity, and I have autonomy from my own creator, and I, what I say goes. I'm making my plan. This idea to seek life without involving God. God has a plan for us as Christians. He has a plan for us. And what the world tells us is we need to make our own plan to follow. This is what the enemy did in the garden to Adam and Eve. That, that God had a plan for Adam and Eve to be in the garden and to walk with God and talk with God and be in relationship with God, but the enemy came, the world came, Satan came and said, you know what, that's not the right plan. You need to follow this other plan. You need, to ex you need to forget about God's plan, and you need to eat from this tree of forbidden fruit so you can know how to plan and you can know how to figure it out. And, and the thing is, even if we think our plan includes God, we're wrong. 
Because if I make my own plans, let, let's, let's break this down. I make my plan, and I take God and put God in my plan. If I can take God and put him in my plan, that God, that God ceases to be the God. Because a God that can fit in my plan is no God at all. It's a God made after my image. God is amazing, and God is miraculous, and God is gracious. He is the beginning and the end, and He has a plan for each one of us. And it's not about us making a plan to involve Him. It's the beautiful story that God has already have a plan for me, to, that, that He has included me in His plan. That's His grace. That's His love. God has included me. The creator of the universe, the God that came to be human flesh, included me in his plan. He included you in his plan. N.T. <sighs> um, Wright continues, Jerusalem and its leaders and opinion formers, both official and unofficial, has come to embody the attitudes of the world. When Jesus goes to Jerusalem, he is indeed showing himself to the world. But it is a world turned against God, a, a, a God that it continues to celebrate. So it, oh, I'm going to repeat that. But it is a world turned against the God it continues to outward celebrate. So they're celebrating in the, the, the festival of tabernacles, the festival of booths. They're there to celebrate God. But, but the state of their tradition, the state of their religion, has been indoctrinated by the world. So, so it is a world that doesn't know the true purpose of God, because if, it, because if they really knew what the true purpose of God is, if they were a people, if the Jews in this story were really a people, they wouldn't be seeking to kill Jesus. They would, they would be recognizing the Messiah. But the thing is, it was all a part of God's plan for them to seek to kill Jesus. That's another sermon all in itself. So, so, so the world, in a nutshell, is an attitude that the individual and the groups they make up should have autonomy and make their own rules and guidelines. Let's break this down. Every single sin begins with one thought. Well, well begins with basically one, one, like one thought, kind of, like abstract thought. And that thought is about oneself. It begins with a me, or it begins with an I. I need to do this. I need to do that. I mean, the thing that the, thing that the world wants you to do, the thing that the devil wants you to do, doesn't want you to basically make these decisions that are, that are, like, that, that are crazy the opposite way. He wants you to make these little, minute problems, because what sin really is, is basically missing the mark. So if, so if he can get me off and think about myself just a little bit, in a couple, like in a couple years, I'm going to be way off if I'm thinking about myself. If I drop myself basically into the middle of the woods and I know that my car is that way to get back, if I've hiked into the woods to go camping or something, I wake up in the morning, I know it's that way. If I, and if I follow my compass that way, I'll get back to my car. But if I'm off just by one little degree, one little click, in a couple miles, I'll miss my destination. 
I'll miss my car, my vehicle. So, so I mean, we think that the devil is like this guy that's so obvious, that he wants to invade and make it so obvious that I'm here, here I am, and I'm obvious, and I'm going to get you off course. But no, every thought that begins selfishly or out of jealousy or has anything to do with me is, is, is the world in its ways trying to get me off track and trying to get me to miss what it's all about. Because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about Him. So when Jesus says to his brothers that the world cannot hate you, he is saying the same thing about them. He's saying that your time is now. You can do what you want because you're of the world, basically. He's saying, I can't do it because I'm, I'm, I'm on my father's time and I only do what the father has. And I testify that that way is evil. But you can do what you want because your time is always at hand. You can, that's basically what he's saying there. Jesus' time hasn't come yet to reveal the world, to the world God's true plan. God's plan was to reveal his kingdom and how different it was and is from the world. So Jesus wasn't going to go to the festival the way his brothers wanted him to or the way the world would have suggested that he did. If he would have done this, he would, have been, he would be guilty of the same thing that the world is, or the brothers would. He wouldn't have been the Christ, because it's about the Father's time. It's about the Father's plan. Jesus never did anything unless he saw the Father do it. Unless he, heard, he wouldn't say anything unless he heard the Spirit of God speak it. What we see from verse 10 is that it was God's plan for Jesus to go, just not the way that the brother suggested. How does this translate, basically, to today? Individually, we should live life not based on how we think life should be lived. Our thoughts every morning shouldn't be asking ourselves, how should I live this day? Our thoughts should be, thank you, God. Thank you. Today is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I will rest and be assured that you are God, and, and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, that it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives on the inside of me. And now, what, how do I live my day? How do I live my life? By what does that say? It says, by putting my flesh putting faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Us putting faith that what God did is actually doing something in us. Us putting faith that salvation is actually a work of God on the inside of us. So it's not me tinkering and trying to plan how I'm supposed to be a better Christian. But, it, but, but, but it's this. I trust God that He and his word will lead me, his spirit will guide me, that I put faith in the investment he has on the inside of me. I have faith on what he has done inside. The way of the world or the way of the devil wants, wants all of our thoughts to revolve around ourselves. We should be captivated by God. We should be captivated and all our thoughts should be just about him and his glory and how, uh, his, his, 
him, him and how amazing he is. Be revolving around him. And as we do this, Christ in us will live and be glorified through us. That's the purpose. The purpose isn't to glorify oneself. The purpose is to put faith in God, put faith in Jesus, to trust in Him, and through us, God will be glorified. We are to be bringers of glory to God. All the honor, all the glory is due God. And He is awesome, and He is amazing, and He is miraculous. And if you, I, I, I'm speaking this right now, if you would just stop, if you would just stop, like if you would just stop and take your hands off of it, if you would stop worrying about it, if you would stop worrying about it right now, because as you're worrying about it, and as, I'm not talking about right now, because right now it's really easy not to worry about it, whatever it is. Right now, it's really easy. But I'm talking about tomorrow, Monday. I'm talking about Thursday afternoon. I'm talking about um, like in the middle of the night on Friday. Stop worrying about it. Take your hands off of that thing. Whatever it is, we're not supposed to control our own lives and we're not supposed to control anybody else's lives around us. May we actually put faith in God. May we actually do that. I mean, we call ourselves people of faith, but we can't trust that God can, can, can basically make our lives the way that He can't. He, we, 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 ha, we are people of faith, people. So stop it. In the middle of the night, stop it. In the, in the middle of the afternoon, stop it. The second that worry comes, stop it. The second that thought comes about that relative or that son or that child or that, 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 that friend that said this or that or that enemy, that enemy, there's a lot of enemies out there that the world wants you to think that you have. There's only one enemy and that's the devil and you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but you wrestle against principalities and powers. So, and I'm sorry, but Jesus Christ made a show of those openly and we stand in the victory of Jesus Christ. So, so I mean, what, if God is for us, what can stand against us? So in the middle of the night, stop. Who's your God? Who do you have faith in? Who, what, what do you have faith in? Do you have faith in yourself? What are you going to do about it? You can't do anything about it. I'm sorry. Jesus Christ has already done it. And He's not going to work the way that you think He should work. He's going to work in a miraculous way that subverts your understanding and makes you just be amazed at how great He is and how amazed He is. Let's go ahead and pray. <laughs> God, right now, right here, all together, here, here, right now, corporately, everyone together, we just, we, we imagine it, we see it in our minds, we see our hands letting go. In Jesus' name. Right here, as we see our hands letting go in Jesus' name, you, God, the creator of the universe, is able, you are able to do 
what you will. And I thank you, Father, that as you do what you will, it is miraculous. As you do what you will, it is loving. As you do what you will, it is full of grace and mercy. So right now, I proclaim to anybody that is holding themselves captive or holding others captive, as they let go, you, 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 you heal their broken heart. You make their eyes see. We proclaim to the captives that they are free. We proclaim to the blind that they have sight. So right now, in Jesus' name, as people are taking their hands off of situations in their life, I proclaim, in Jesus' name, see. In Jesus' name, you are free. In Jesus' name, you are healed. In Jesus' name, you are whole. In Jesus' name, no anxiety. In Jesus' name, no depression. In Jesus' name, that thing, that addiction that holds you, that addiction that holds you, it's gone. You are set free from it. And, and, and you just, you take your hands off of it and you see Jesus work. From this moment on, with faith, you take your hands off of it, and with faith, you just see that Jesus is working in your life. In Jesus' name, amen.